0: He is the eternal Son of God who came into this world, died on the cross for sinners and was raised again. Uh, Now we've been invited to an anniversary service at Freyerns Baptist Church in Basildon and that's this coming Saturday at 2pm and there's refreshments afterwards. Uh, They have asked if, if, uh, the church has asked if if, if, uh, if we could let, uh, let it know um, how many people are coming. So if you do want to attend that service, could you let me know? And then I can pass on the numbers uh, to, to the church. And then to give forward notice, a few things coming up. We've got a morning of prayer uh, on Saturday the 2nd of December. Uh, from about 9.30 until about 12.30. This gives an opportunity for a more extended time of prayer than we usually have. And also, uh, we have coming up on Sunday, the 17th of December, our carol service, which this year, as per last year, we're going to do in the morning, followed by a bring and share lunch. Uh, uh, just to say also that Ed is away in Sicily. Um, do pray uh, for him as he's there. And we had some sad news from Sicily, which is that Filippo, who had been the, um, the preacher of that little church there uh, after Ed's sister, Helen's husband, died, Filippo um, has himself uh, died this, this last week, Ed, Ed Heard, Ed and Helen Heard this week. Um, so please could we pray for uh, the church there, pray for Ed and for Helen as they try to uh, bring comfort in that situation. And uh, also uh, we've heard from Palumi that he's away today. Well, let's now draw near to God in prayer. Almighty God, We thank you as we've been thinking this morning about you, the great, eternal, and almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. We rejoice in your mighty power that by your word you brought the whole universe into being. And you created this beautiful world with all the lovely things that there are in this world. For us to enjoy and you created man in your own image we thank you for your many mercies we thank you for the way in which you, you rule over this world the way in which you make sure that everything happens according to your purpose and according to your will and we thank you that though you knew that man with sin. You still allowed this world to go ahead and you uh, you, at the right time sent your dear son the Lord Jesus Christ to make a sacrifice for sinners to pay for the sins of your people so that your people might be brought into fellowship with you they might have have become adopted as your children, and might become heirs of your glory. Thank you for, also for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the way in which he's been poured out upon us. And we thank you that uh, he causes he, us who are your people to be born again. and He sustains us and helps us. He gives us a foretaste of your heavenly glory. We thank you for these things, Lord God, and we, we do pray that you'll help us to appreciate and give thanks for your creation and for your redemption and more and more. Help us, Lord, not to love this world, but may we rightly give thanks to you for all the blessings that we enjoy in this world. And may we serve you as we should day by day. Lord God, we do ask that in your great mercy you will cause the good news of Jesus to spread rapidly to many more people in this world. That many more people will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They will have their sins forgiven and they'll be brought to you. And we pray that Uh, that you will cause the gospel to have an impact upon our whole world. Lord, we thank you for the promise of your word that they shall beat their swords into sheds, their spears into pruning hooks. They shall not train for war anymore. We pray for such an enormous influence of the gospel over our world that indeed the whole course of nations is changed and that that uh, nations live at peace with one another because of the effect of the gospel upon the way in which whole societies think. And Lord, we do want to pray for the situation in Gaza. We do pray for the people on both the Israeli side and on the Palestinian side who are suffering. Think of the families. Who, who've had loved ones taken away from them they don't know where they are they don't even know if they're alive still we pray for your comfort and your help for those people those Israeli people but Lord we also do pray for uh, those on the Palestinian side who've lost loved ones and who are concerned for loved ones who are trapped we pray show your mercy there as well And we pray, Lord, that among both Israelis and Palestinians there will be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the way your word promises that that your ancient people will not be forgotten by you. And a time will come when uh, all Israel will be saved. We pray, Father, that time will come soon. And we pray that that these events are all part of that working of your plan so that uh, that ultimately uh, a great number of Israelites will be saved. And this will in turn bring great blessing to the whole world. Lord, we also do remember before you those who are not well. We remember those who are physically ill. We remember those who are mentally ill, especially those who have connection with the church here. Show your mercy, we pray. Raise them up. Those that don't know you yet, bring them to yourself. And those that do know you, strengthen them in in their faith. We ask these things through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, our next hymn is number 213. Um, I don't think we've sung this one before. Um so if we could please um play the hymn t- tune first through first so if, sorry, not two hundred Two hundred and fourteen. I sing the almighty power of God that made the mountains flee. So the uh-huh. Opportunity now. If there are any children who want to go to Sunday school, uh, now is the time for them to go out with their teacher, teachers. And uh, could the rest of us turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter one? And uh, we're going to this morning uh, read uh, verses 1 to 5, although we will be referring to um, the whole chapter. So it's Genesis chapter 1 and verses 1 to 5. In the beginning, God created. The heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from darkness, from the darkness. He called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning. The first day. So keep your Bible open and let's now ask God to help us as we think about his word. Lord God, we thank you for the great privilege we have of being able to gather together this morning. And thank you that we're able to think about your word. Thank you that you've given us your word to instruct us and to guide us. And Lord, I do pray that you'll help me to teach your word accurately and helpfully this morning. And Lord, please would you speak to us through your word. And please would you help us to benefit from this time. We pray through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Uh, We continue this morning in our studies that we've been doing uh, this term from this chapter, this first chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. And this morning I want us to consider together how we should interpret the word day in this chapter. Should we regard each day that's spoken of here as uh, speaking speaking about a 24-hour period as we measure time in our generation, this time? Or should we regard each day as speaking about a very long period of time, perhaps millions of years, And the related question is this, how long ago did these events happen? How old is our universe and our world? Was uh, the world created just a few thousand years ago? Or was it created millions of years ago? Now you might ask, well, why do we need to know the answer to these questions? Well, I think there are a number of reasons why we do need to address this question and uh, and seek and consider what answers the Bible might give. One reason is because if It is the case that the world was created in seven literal days, just a few thousand years ago. Then this would rule out the idea that different animals and man were brought into being through a process of evolution. Because those who put forward the idea of evolution say that it must have happened over Many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years. Another reason why uh, it's good for us to consider this subject is because your answer to those questions is going to affect your view of God. If you believe that God made this world by his command... In six literal days, that's going to make you think, wow, our God is very powerful. And if he did that, well, there's anything he could do. And you're likely to believe that God is able to answer your prayers and do wonderful things for you. A third reason why we need to address this issue is because your view of how old the world is will, in all probability, affect your view of how much longer the world will last. If you think of the world as having come into being over a period of millions and millions of years, Maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, you're very likely to think, well, it's it's been going for millions of years, it's probably going to last for millions of years. But if you think of it as having come into being just a few thousand years ago, then you're much more likely to think, well, it's likely to end very soon. At least the world as we know it, with the second coming of Christ. Now it does need to be said that this matter of the interpretation of the word day in this chapter is a matter that is debated among Bible-believing Christians. I hope you won't think from anything that I say this morning that there's only one legitimate view that Bible-believing Christians can have. And if you don't have the view that I put forward, then you hardly deserve the name of being a Christian. That's not the case, because uh, if you look in in, in the history of the church, you look at what different theologians and Bible teachers have written. Some very, very respectable Christian teachers have gone plumbed on, on, on one way or the other. So I hope you know, you won't think this is the party line that if you don't have this, if you don't hold this party line, you can't be part of this church or you can't be regarded as a Christian. No, that's not what I'm saying this morning. But I do think I do need to address this issue. You might disagree with me. That's fine. Uh, But uh, I think it does need to be addressed. Uh, So some um, very fine and, Reputable evangelical Bible teachers would interpret the word day here in this chapter as as referring to uh, very long periods of time, lasting perhaps even many millions of years. Uh, Other Bible-believing Christians have put forward the idea that that, uh, Genesis chapter 1 should be treated as a sort of a poem, and the word, the word "days" should be trans, should be thought of in, in symbolic terms. Others would say that the reasons from within the text of Genesis one, and also from the use of the word "day" in other places of Scripture, uh, to regard it as uh, in chapter in Genesis chapter one, to regard the word "day" as Referring to a literal twenty-four hour period, so uh, we, we'll, we'll address this issue. The other thing I also think we do need to address, and we might as well deal with it as we're dealing with this issue of the word "day," is how long ago was this 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 the six-day period that was described here in Genesis, whether you, however, you interpret it. Was it a very, very long period of time ago, or was it a few thousand years ago? How old is the earth? And we'll be looking to see if the Bible sheds some light on on that. So, and then I will seek to bring out some practical implications for our lives. So, first of all then, how should we interpret the word day in Genesis chapter 1? Well, those who would interpret the word day as meaning a very long period of time would point out that there are places in the Bible where the word day indeed does mean a period and not just one particular 24-hour period of time. So let me just give you a few examples which you can either turn to or you can listen to as I give you these examples. So the first example is from Deuteronomy chapter uh, 31. And uh, this is where God predicts how the people of Israel will turn away from him. And when that happens, God will bring judgment on the people of Israel. And so, if they want the page number, it's page 204. And in verse 17 of Deuteronomy 31, uh, God says, Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them so that they will say in that day have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us. And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done because they have turned to other gods. So we see here that we've got the word day being used here. Not to talk about a single 24-hour period, but to talk about a period of time when God will be angry with his people for the fact they've turned away from him. And the people will realise that God is judging them because of their sin. Another example is in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And verse eighteen, and this is on page two hundred and seventy-three, and here God is warning the people of Israel about the consequences which will come upon them when they ask, when when they get what they are asking for, which is a king. They've sinned against God, and and uh, by asking for a king to, to be like the nations around them and and Samuel is warning them about the, all the terrible things that that when they do have a king the terrible things that king will do and then he says in verse 18 of 1 Samuel 8 in that day you will cry out because your king whom you've chosen for your, because of your king whom you've chosen for yourselves but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Now, Achilles is talking about in that period of time. They've got a king who's misusing them, and at that period of time, they will cry out to God and they'll say well, how, you know, how sad they are that, they, that they've done this and they, they'll realize that they, they've sinned. And then, uh, if we go over to Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 17, we see another example of the word day being used um, uh, talk about a period Um, in fact it's talking about the day of the Lord a time of judgment when God brings judgment upon upon people so verse 12 uh, for the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty against all that is lifted up And it shall be brought low. And um, verse 17. The haughtiness of man shall be humbled. The lofty pride of man shall be brought low. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the idols shall utterly pass away. And the people shall enter the holes, caves of the rock, and so on and so forth. When God arises to terrify the earth. Now it could be talking about specific judgment day, yes. But it seems from the context it's talking about a period of judgment coming upon the earth. And and so we see then that um, there are these places in the Bible where, yes, to be fair, the word day is talking about a period. So it is argued that the word day in Genesis chapter 1 should be Uh, regarded as speaking about a very long period of time. And it is said that, therefore, uh, there is no conflict between the Bible's account of creation and modern views of, 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 of how the universe came into being and then views also about how life uh, was formed and evolved over time. And um, it is said, well, um, y- you can interpret the word day in a, in a symbolic way, I talk about a long period of time, and, and then that, that, that apparent conflict is done away with. Well, there is, well how do we evaluate this? Well, uh, first of all, the first thing to say is that there is an immediate difficulty with that approach which is that the order of the days is wrong. If you can take that approach. I say wrong, but it doesn't tie up with the what people would say is the order things happened. What scientists would say, some scientists would say. Because you have uh, life appearing, or God creating life, uh, in... in uh, I, on, on, on the, th- on the uh, vegetation appearing on, on the third day. And verse 11, God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, which is their seed, each according to their kind, on the earth. But the sun and the moon and the stars were created on the fourth day. Uh, verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be signs for seasons for days and years. Well, according to the view that many scientists would put forward, you've got the universe create, brought, comes into being first, and that's around for millions of years, and, and you've got the sun, the moon, the stars, and then a long time later, you get vegetation coming on the earth. So, So there's a problem there. But there are further reasons I would suggest to you why the word day should not be regarded, not be treated as talking about a long period of time. Uh, Let me bring these, these arguments to you. First of all, we see in this chapter, Genesis 1, that God called... Light, day. And God called darkness, night. If we have a look at verse 5 in Genesis 1. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. So God has here defined what day is. Day is a period when there's light. And night is defined as the period when there's darkness. So if we were to say, well, a day is like a period of millions of years, well, then there had to have been millions of years of, of light followed by millions of years of, of darkness. Well, that, doesn't, that really doesn't tie up with, with what is said here about the meaning of day uh, and night uh, in Genesis 1 verse 5. Another reason why um, I think we should view these days as literal 24-hour days is because it says at the end of each of these days of creation, it says there was evening and there was morning. And then there was like the first day, the second day, and so on. So verse 5, there was evening and there was morning the first day. Verse 8. And there was evening, there was morning the second day. Verse 13. Uh, And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Verse 19. And there was evening, there was morning the fourth day. Verse 23. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And verse 31. Uh, There was, uh, and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day, and so we've got these days being numbered, and then you've got the seventh day described also in chapter two, and verse and verse verses one to three, and with with each one of these days, except for the the, the seventh day, it says there was evening, and there was morning, and that would. That would point to it being a, a literal day period. Next thing to say is this, that the days are numbered. The first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day. Now, uh, if you, if you, some of us, probably many of us, have got computers on our Bibles. And uh, on these online bibles or computers on your bibles there's something called concordance which is a tool which will tell you all the occurrences of a word or all the occurrences of a phrase in the bible now if you were to go on to your online concordance and if you put in the phrase first day the two words first day together you'll find a whole string of references and you go through those references, and you'll find each one is talking about an actual 24-hour period. You cannot find a single instance where first day means anything other than a 24-hour period. Similarly, do the same thing with second day. Same thing again. Wherever you get a numbered day, it's always you know, an actual day. Now, another reason why I think we do need to interpret the word day here as literal day is this. Because in verses 14 to 20 of Genesis 1, God uh, there is an account of the creation of the sun and the moon. And the sun and the moon are said to in the scriptures to be created in order to govern the day and the night. So verse 14 and God said let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate day from night and let them be for signs and seasons for days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth and it was so. And God made the two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So you've got uh, in those verses, verses 14 to, to 18 you've got the words day and night being used clearly to talk about 24-hour periods. Clearly, they're talking about like well, you know, what we would call our, our days and nights. It would therefore, to me, seem very strange if then the very next verse, when it says, and there was evening, there was morning, the fourth day, if suddenly, where you've got verses 14 to 18... Day and night being talked about as 24 hours, suddenly now, oh, this is talking about an era that lasts millions of years. That seems to me somewhat strange, and against the rules of normal biblical interpretation, because you normally expect a word to be used in the same way in the immediate context. Now, another reason why I would suggest you we're talking this chapter is talking about literal 24-hour days is because of the description of the seventh day. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, we read, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God rested from his work that he'd done. And he rested on the seventh day, and, all, and from all the work his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day. And made it holy. Because on it. God rested. From all his work. That he had done. In creation. So we see here that. The seventh day. The Sabbath. Is blessed. Because it's the day when God rested. Well. Well. Did God rest for millions and millions and millions of years? No. God rested on, the implication would seem to be that God rested for one 24-hour period following the, the, the end of the creation because that is the pattern for us to follow. God worked over six days, did the work of creation over six days, and rested on the seventh. And, and he says, now that's what you've got to do. Effectively. And that is reinforced by what happens when God actually explicitly gives the the Sabbath commandment. Which is in Exodus chapter 20. And that's, if you want the page number, it's page 72. And verse 8. Exodus 20 verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now, note, verse 11, for in six days... The Lord made the heavens and heaven the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That would not make sense, I suggest to you, if the days of creation were actually vast eras which lasted millions of years. It only makes sense if, in fact, the, the period being spoken about uh, the days being spoken of are literal 24-hour periods. So there's the first thing then. For the, so for these reasons, I would suggest to you that we should interpret the word day in Genesis chapter 1 in the most obvious and plain sense. In other words, as meaning uh, a 24-hour period. Now, the other question which I said I wanted to address this morning, which I think we might as well take together, is how long ago was this creation week? I'm suggesting to you it was seven days, seven literal days. So how long ago? Well, I would suggest to you that we find the answer to this question in Genesis chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 10. Now, we read... Genesis 5 earlier, so we're not going to read through it again. Um, now, what is a genealogy? A genealogy is a list of all of, of different generations. So you've got the, the father named, and then at least one of his sons is named, sometimes more than one son, but one of his sons is named. And then you go down to that generation, and then The son's son is named, and then the next generation, and so on and so forth. Now, what's very, very... In a lot of the genealogies, you've got so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, was the father of so-and-so, was the father of so-and-so, father of so-and-so. And -and And it's just just a line going down. And with some of those genealogies, when you compare them with other genealogies, you realise, well, actually, there's a few names missing. Because what they're doing is they're like signposts to say... This is the way that the family tree went. But with these with these genealogies in in, in in Genesis, what's interesting is, you're told how old the father was when he begat, caused to you know, to, to, to be conceived, the 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 next, his son, and then the how old that son was, and so so just look with me, um, verse three. Genesis 5, uh, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. Verse 6, when Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Verse 9, when Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Verse 15, when Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he, married, he, he fathered Jared. Verse 18, when Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Uh, verse uh, 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Verse 25, when Methuselah had lived eight, 187 years, he fathered Lamech. In verse 28, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah. And then verse 32, after Noah was 500 years old, he, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, I did a little tot up um, yesterday and I made that 1,556 years from the creation of the world to the birth of Shem. But then if you go on to then the next genealogy in the... In, uh, um, In, in Genesis which is in verse t- chapter 11 and verse 10 page 9 in our Bibles you then get the line from Shem down to Abraham when Shem was 100 years old he fathered verse 10 he fathered Arphaxad, Arphaxad two years after the flood and then you've got Verse 12, when Arphaxad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. Then verse 14, when Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. Verse 16, when Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. Verse 18, when Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Rue. Verse 20, when Rue had lived 30 years, he fathered Sirach. Verse twenty-two: When Serah had lived thirty years, he fathered Nahor. Verse twenty-four: When Nahor had lived twenty-nine years, he fathered Terah. Verse twenty-six: When Terah had lived seventy years, he fathered Abraham, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, after once Abram is born, who of course God renamed Abraham, you've then got further genealogies and. Also, you then start to be able to cross-refer to other histories, Babylonian histories and so on and so forth. So you start to get much more precise dating, or not say more precise, but dating which you can correlate with other sources. And it seems to be pretty generally agreed, there may be some disagreement, but there seems to be general agreement that Abraham was born about 2,100 years before Christ. So that would make the creation of the world having taken place at around 4,000 BC. Or, in other words, the world is a bit more than 6,000 years old now. Now, it might be objected that this interpretation of Genesis chapter 1 in terms of the days and this interpretation of the genealogies that I talked about in, in these later chapters in Genesis, that these interpretations fly in the face of the scientific consensus that there is in our society. As I'm sure many of us will know, many scientists have concluded based upon various measurements and theories that the stars are millions of light years away. So the the light coming to us from those stars has been traveling for millions of years. So that would imply, if that's true, unless there's been a massive deceleration in the the, um, speed of light, that would imply that the world has been around for a very, very, or the universe has been around for a very, very, very long period of time. And then... Other scientists talk about um, rocks being on the earth being very, very old indeed and, and various fossils in different layers of those rocks and, and so on. Um, and so um, it might be said, well, look, if you're going to interpret the Bible this way, you're going to – you're flying in the face of very strong evidence – um, should you not reconsider your interpretation? Surely, it might be said, if we follow this approach, we risk making ourselves as Christians out to, to look like absurd and religious cranks who believe in things like the flat earth and things like this. You, you know, you're just sort of just shutting your eyes to, to all the evidence. Well, by the way, the earth isn't flat. The Bible doesn't say the earth is flat. It talks about the circle of the earth, so we can dismiss that one. But um, uh, are, we, are we saying that? Well, let me, let me just um, make a few comments. Uh, first thing I would say is this, that a key principle of biblical interpretation must be that we use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Yes, if we can find from the Bible reasons to believe that the earth is much, much older or that days, the, the, the term day in Genesis 1 should be interpreted in a different way. Of course, we should be open to such an interpretation. But for myself, I don't see it. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You know, please do show me if I'm wrong and, and bring me some verses which which would say otherwise. But um We do need to interpret scripture with scripture. Scientific and historical evidence can illustrate and can help us to see very often how true the Bible is. But we should not be driven in our interpretation of scripture by what historians or scientists have concluded. Another observation I would make, which is one that I made a few weeks ago, I'll just repeat it now, is that we should not be overawed by the, quote, scientific consensus. There is, in fact, no scientific consensus about anything, because scientists, like lawyers, are always arguing amongst themselves and disputing and debating. There's a new idea that comes forward, and that... And then that changes. And, and you'll find, if you look at the history of scientific thought, you'll find that the th- a theory comes up. It's believed by, by almost all scientists for a few years. And then that's knocked down, and then another theory comes along. And then that gets knocked down, and then another theory comes along. So we shouldn't be overly awed by, uh, quote, scientific consensus. The third thing I'd like to say is that the comment I would say is that there are scientists who have come up with other explanations of the age of stars, the age of rocks, of fossils, and so on. Many of them are Christians, but not all. And uh, some of these are much more consistent with uh, the idea of a young earth and a, a literal six day. A view of creation, and so um, to to I would say that that um, to hold to a young Earth literal six day creation view is not as non rational or cranky as as uh, some might uh, might imagine, or as anti scientific as might be suggested. Now. It's not the place now to go into detail about such things. And in any case, I'm not a scientist, and if I did try to say something, I would probably annoy <laughs> those of you who are more scientifically minded, so I'm not even going to go there. But um, there are works I can refer you to uh, if, if you're interested to investigate that one further. Well, okay, so I know... Some of you might have disagreed with me today, and if, if you do, then please bear with me. Uh, I hope I've lived, at least given you something to think about, if you do disagree with me. But what then, I want to come now to think about the, uh, what, 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 what practical difference does this make to our lives? That's the really important thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, how should this affect us? I'm suggesting to you the Bible's teaching that the world was made in, in six 24-hour periods about 6,000 years ago. What, how should that affect the way we think? How should that affect the way we live? Well, let me mention three things to us. First of all, this should reinforce to us the view which I trust we already know, but hopefully it will reinforce to us, that our God is very powerful. To bring this whole universe into being with all its, its complexity and its marvelous design from the, the vast universe right down to the tiny atoms and molecules, life itself and the way in which it all in, in, it's all independent, the human body. These things are just amazing. And to think that God did this in just six days. What an amazing God we have. He is mighty. And if God can do this, he can do anything. We sang that song from based on Jeremiah. Our Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm... Nothing is too difficult for you. If God made the world in six days, he can do anything. He can save you from your sins. He can deliver you from your habits that are destroying your life. He can work in members of your family to bring them to Christ. He can cause a whole country that has gone head over heels into paganism, to come to Christ. It's easy to God. Our God is mighty. And let that thought uh, grab hold of you and be part of your consciousness. This God who made the whole world is able to do wonderful things. The God, as we mentioned a week or two ago, the God who said, Let there be light is able to make his light shine in the most darkened sinner, the most person who's most hostile to God, and bring that person to him. Second thing which I think we should draw from this, and we will bring be bringing out a bit more, this should affect the rhythm of our daily lives. Just think about it. God organized the whole of the creation of the world around a six-day work and one-day rest pattern. Doesn't that say to you something about the way you should organize your life, the way I should organize my life? Work six days rest for the seventh. There's that pattern there, isn't it? Built into the very fabric of creation. Some of us rest seven days a week. (laughs) Others of us work seven days a week. But we're meant to work six days and rest on the seventh. What Christians have done since the coming of christ is that they have they've rest that made that rest day the lord's day the first day of the week in remembrance of christ's resurrection from the dead but there should be that rhythm to our lives just as there was that rhythm to god's life god's work in creation and the third thing i would say is this If God made the world just 6,000 odd years ago, it could well be that this world will end very, very soon. Jesus kept on saying it, didn't he? He's going to come back at a time when nobody's expecting him. And when he comes back, this world as we know it will finish. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And those who are not saved will be excluded and sent to hell. And those who are saved will enjoy the new world that God is going to bring into being. I wonder if sometimes we subconsciously get into the mindset, well, the world's here just for millions of years. It's just going to carry on for another millions millions more years. No, it's not. Jesus is going to come again. And that is absolutely clear from the whole of Scripture. And he's coming soon. Make sure you're ready. And live for that new age. Well, we're going to sing our last hymn now. Number 919. A Sovereign Protector I Have. And um, this is talking about how the one... Who looks after us who are believers is the mighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth. And so we are safe and secure in him. Shall we stand number and sing number nine hundred